This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 317. My goal personally is to touch as many leaders as possible and help them overcome their fear and their anxiety around change and help them put some principles that are true and lasting so that they can see results. Hi, and welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. It's the podcast that is dedicated to your personal and professional growth. Hi, I'm Jeff Brown, and I'm here because I believe that if you want to achieve true success in your business and in your life, then you guessed it, intentional and consistent reading is an absolute must. The Read to Lead podcast, as I've designed it, is not only going to help you narrow this ever-important reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable ideas from today's most successful and inspiring authors. Each week, we sit down with one of those authors, and we chat about their latest book and their unique insights on things like personal growth, leadership, productivity, professional development, career, business, marketing, sales, entrepreneurship, and more. Now, in just a moment, we'll be joined by Pam Marmon. She's author of the brand new book, No One's Listening, and It's Your Fault. Get your message heard during organizational transformations. I'll ask Pam to share about what her experience has taught her about why so many of us struggle with change, why your career success depends on your ability to change, some change must-haves you need to understand if you expect to be successful, and lots more. Now, with each and every episode, I create a written summary on my website, which, by the way, is readtoleadpodcast.com. Now, each episode summary has its own unique, easy-to-remember URL. It's the website I just mentioned and the three-digit number associated with this episode. Remember, that's 317. That means the show notes page for this episode is readtoleadpodcast.com slash 317 for episode 317. That way, if you hear something you like, you want to dig a little deeper into today's featured book and author, now you know where to go. One more time, that's readtoleadpodcast.com slash 317. Pam Marmon is the CEO of Marmon Consulting, a change management consulting firm that provides strategy and execution services to help companies transform. She's already helped me transform the last 24 hours, and she doesn't even know it yet. But uh, from Fortune 50 to startups... Pam brings unparalleled change, expertise, and insights as a practitioner, a speaker, and an adjunct professor of future change makers. Growing up in Bulgaria and moving to America has taught her to be adaptable and resilient to change. Pam, welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. I'm excited to, to have you here. Thank you for having me. Well, talk about your, your work as a consultant. What does that journey and, and process look like for you? Uh, generally speaking, when you work with a, when you work with a company or organization? Yeah, so I actually started my consulting experience when I was in my mid-20s. Mm. And um, certainly not by design. I was working full-time at the Boeing company and I was getting my MBA at night. And I just so happened to have a conversation with the business owner that led to me starting a little consulting gig on the side. Mm. And uh, one thing after another, several years later, I found myself in a consulting, a real consulting firm in Seattle working with Fortune's. 50 clients and a lot of technology clients. And um, it wasn't until I was on this really big project that was a merger um, that was happening between two global companies that I fell in love with change management. I discovered this thing that fit me so well. Um, And so I became certified and continued my uh, consulting experience. I've moved across the country several times uh, in the last decade. 
all of the work that I've led has been in this change management space. And it's been really fascinating to see different parts of the country and how they respond to this discipline of change management. But it wasn't until I moved to the South, now Nashville, mm. uh, that I started my own consulting firm because I found that there was a need for the service. And um, I actually have a young family with three little boys. They're all in preschool. And I didn't want to travel. And I wanted to be in control of my destiny and the work that I do and the clients that I work with. And so starting a consulting firm was a very good option for me. Um, And so that it's been almost Mm -hmm. two years since I did that. But that's been my journey. And um, it's been fascinating to see all the different industries and the different projects and the different leaders who I'm privileged really to work alongside and help them transform their, their organizations. I've got a couple of personal questions I want to ask you before we dive into the book. How old were you when you moved to the States? I was 12. So I was 12, didn't speak English, didn't mm. understand the culture. Um, wow. It was quite a, a shock <laughs> to uh, to my family, to me personally. Uh, but it was also such a, a an impressionable time in my life as a teenager mm. um, to really understand what is, who am I? What does America represent? What is, uh, what is my role in being here for this reason in this stage of my life? Um, and really becoming uh, an integrated individual into the community and the society and and now being able to work both with for-profits and non-profits and also connecting with my home country of Bulgaria and trying to find a way to to make this experience worth something bigger than just uh, you know another family that moved to America. <laughs> well one of the reasons I ask is because I, I don't even sense a hint of, of an accent. Exactly and I've lived in so many parts of the U.S. that uh, even if I had an accent you probably wouldn't know from where because it's all blended. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, obviously, there's a, a lot of, of change happening in the U.S., right? Well, everywhere right now because of uh, the coronavirus. Uh, and I, I'm curious as to how that's impacted what you do. And maybe even if you can answer this, how you've tried to respond to it in what you do. Yeah. And so it's, here's the interesting thing, the timing of this. Uh, I could not have predicted. Mm-hmm. I started writing a book. 10 months ago in 2019. And the book is on change management. It's called No One's Listening and It's Your Fault. And the idea behind the book was I want to help leaders not be afraid of change because I have seen this beast and I know how to tame it. Mm. And I don't want them to fear it. And so I wanted to put this book together. Oftentimes, leaders will come and say, it's their communication that's broken. And so I wanted to address the communication, which in most companies, yes, it is broken. (laughs) That's a very common (laughs) broken channel. Um, And I also wanted to layer principles of change management to really help them understand if you engage your people, if you are thoughtful about how you communicate, what you communicate, the language in which you communicate it in, you are going to get a better result. And so when I started writing the book 10 months ago, I didn't know that I would be publishing right in the middle of this pandemic, global pandemic. And uh, my publisher and I had a conversation, you know, do we hold, do we we move forward? And ultimately, we decided let's just publish it now because now is the time when industries and leaders need it the most because of the massive changes that are happening and because they need a message of hope on how to do it and how to do it well, we decided to go ahead and move with the the launch of the book. Um, And that has been actually the best thing that we could have done. And I think as a consultant in the space, 
I, you know, I personally love change. <laughs> I love it. I thrive on it. I think it's the most exciting thing ever. Uh, but that's not always the case for, for everybody. And right. um, in this season of massive change where we're, it's different because now we're forced to change. It's not like we planned it. We didn't have time to stage it. Um, you know, we didn't prepare for it. We didn't train our people for it. And so it's a little bit different yet we can apply similar principles. We can apply empathy. We can apply solid communications. We can apply uh, just the humanity that has to come together for us in this space in order for us to move past the initial shock of the pandemic and the economic mm-hmm. challenges that it created and be progressive and forward thinking as we look ahead. You know, it's interesting what can happen when we're forced to change. Like you said a moment ago, I was reading an article the other day about how universities that uh, for, for months and years had been dragging their feet uh, in regard to their online initiatives have suddenly gotten it all together. <laughs> so, exactly, yeah. it's, it's funny what can happen when, when you're sort of backs against the wall, right? Yeah, we are very resilient as human beings. And I think this resilience and this innovation is coming through right now. Mm-hmm. Well, in her book, Pam says that more than 70% of change efforts fail. Wow. Uh, What has your experience uh, taught you, Pam, about why we view change the way we do? Why do so many of us, myself included, uh, find change to be so hard? So there's an organization called ProSci, and ProSci does a lot of research in the change management space. So uh, through decades of research that they have done, they found out that when organizations do not apply change management principles, up to 70% of their uh, efforts failed. Mm. And so ProSci went ahead and decided to do a lot of trainings and uh, inform individuals on how do you do it better. And so I think that the the reason why so many of the changes fail is because oftentimes we focus on the technology or the end goal, mm. and we forget that there are people involved in this process. And if we don't include people along this journey and we launch, people are not going to accept it. They're going to reject it. They're not going to think it was their idea. They're not going to buy into it. And so uh, you'll, you'll have more resistance. Uh, the principles that I teach in the book is really to help leaders understand how do you identify your impacted stakeholders, internal, external, what do they look like? What do they sound like? What do they care about? What's so dear to them that if you miss this point, you're going to miss their ability to engage with you. And this is really what I wanted to set out and help leaders understand so that as they move throughout the duration of a large, massive transformation, they're being mindful of the people side of the change and engaging the right individuals at the right time. I believe it. The, one of the, the things you touched on, if I'm remembering correctly, is, is, is essentially our career success as individuals depends on our ability to change. Is that right? I, I do believe so. Yes, yeah. I believe it's true because as we move throughout our career, we're exposed to more challenges or different problems or different ways of thinking. Mm. And we have to be open-minded and be willing to adapt to new circumstances. Otherwise, if we are not, we, we are risking the chance of being irrelevant. And mm. to me, that's, an, that's a massive risk that we take as individuals. So being mm. able to adapt to change, I think, is a critical component, not only at, at the individual level, but also at the organizational level, which is really where I focus. How do you mm. transform an entire organization full of people who are individuals and have different needs and different mindsets? Um, and how do you shift that collectively. So, so your job basically comes down to herding cats. Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> I guess you could say that. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, what, what would be some of the change must haves then if, if you expect to be successful as an organization throughout this change process? 
Yeah, I would say the must-haves would be, um, well, first of all, we have to address the mindsets. We as individuals need to have the mindsets of being open, uh, just open-minded and curious. Mm -hmm. What could the world hold if we take a little bit of risk? What are those calculated risks that we can take? Um, Some of the must-haves from a leadership perspective really is to have leaders across the organization engage alignment at the uh, at the vision level of the organization as we move forward. We also need to have uh, leaders being able to champion that work throughout the various different departments. I'm referencing large transformational work mm. uh, that happens. And so other leaders need to be able to represent your work as a leader across your organization. Um, you need to have champions within your organization. So these are individuals who are influencers who um, can carry your message forward on your behalf. Um, You need to have identified who are your impacted stakeholders and how do you plan to engage them throughout the duration of the work. So initially, it may be just awareness that you're raising awareness and getting their desire and curiosity stirred. And as you move closer to go live, perhaps this is where you start to introduce a little bit of training and um, more intense and detailed communications. So certainly communications, training, uh, those are two major components when people think of change management, uh, but really it comes down to the behaviors and the mindsets. So what are the mindsets that we as individuals have and how do we need to think differently about the future of where we're going? And uh, following that are the, is the behavior. What, what do we need to shift in how we behave to be able to adapt to this new way of doing work? Hmm. What might I need to consider, Pam, if I feel like as a leader, my message, my change message, my need for changes is not getting through? So we can troubleshoot. Why? Why is it not getting through? Is it the right sender? Is it the right message? Is it the right timing? What is happening within your organization that may be preventing you from getting your message heard? Is it a staging challenge where we have to look at all the other change initiatives that are taking place? How can you partner with people to get your message heard in a collective way? One challenge that I often find ourselves in, lots of really good intending leaders with really great work are sending communications out, but they're not aligning them with the context of what else is happening in the organization. And so if we don't consider the end receiver, the end receiver is going to get a thousand different messages about all of these (laughs) things and they will tune out. Eventually they just won't pay attention. And so we as leaders have to think about how we communicate and how we stage and create this cohesive story for the end receiver so that they understand the big picture. We talked a few weeks ago with a guy I think you probably know in in that you're in Nashville, a guy named Michael Hyatt, for his book, uh, The Vision Driven Leader, that just came out and is probably more relevant now than ever. Share a bit about the importance, Pam, of vision for an organization and how it fits into all this. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Without a vision, our change efforts can succeed Mm. uh, because they all have to align. I've actually had clients that I have worked with where we started our conversations and quickly realized that they didn't have a strong vision. And we had to pause our efforts because without the proper vision in place, we can put all of these great things in motion, Mm. but we won't get the results. And so I always advise my clients, make sure that you have a solid vision in place. Even if you haven't figured out all the details, that's okay. As long as you know where you're going, how you want to get there. Um, And then, you know, partner with consultants and smart people in your organization that can help you get there. But the vision piece is just incredibly important from a transformation perspective. Talk about, if you would, Pam, the importance of resisting the temptation, I think a lot of uh, leaders uh, suffer from, of wanting to just dive right in, uh, leading a new uh, change initiative. What what do many leaders get wrong or what goes wrong when a leader falls uh, uh, to that temptation? 
Yeah. So I think it's a very valid temptation. Um, I see it often. And I think mm-hmm. we as leaders are excited and anxious to get the results and we want to move forward fast. But what we need to realize is that while we have been training for marathon, our people mm-hmm. have been training for something quite different. And so they need the time to prepare for that transition. Um, I, I'm going to reference the change curve. And I don't know if everybody has heard of that or not. So I'll, I'm going to explain it a little bit. Mm-hmm. There's this concept of a change curve when you first introduce a change probably before that there was no awareness. So all of a sudden there's awareness that something is going to happen. And then uh, we kind of go into this valley of despair, we we (laughs) call that, (laughs) um, where there's a shock. You know, what does that mean for me? What does it mean for my job, for my work, for my company? And then eventually as we learn more about the work, we come to accept it and we come, you know, hopefully we emerge championing it and buying into the vision. And so what happens oftentimes with leaders, they have had this idea, they have been socializing it at their executive level for some time. And so they have moved through the change curve themselves. But the moment we introduce it to the organization, we fail to remember that people are at the beginning of the change curve. And it's going to take them some time to wrestle with some of those questions around impact and what does it mean for me and what does it look like in the future. And so I caution leaders when we look at large transformations, let's make sure that we're timing it well, we're staging it appropriately. So we're not rushing people to change. uh, Because if we rush people, then we actually don't get the results that we want, but that we're mindful and we're taking a pulse on the organization as we move forward. There's a couple of things you hit on uh, in subsequent chapters of the book that that I'd love to dig into a little bit more. You mentioned change champion earlier. What's the purpose or role of, of a change champion specifically? Yeah, so it's it's actually dual. So on one hand, change champions um, are individuals who receive information from the project team. So they will receive content, uh, kind of a preview of, of maybe, or maybe a demo or something just to let them know this is what's coming. Uh, and we get feedback from them. Uh, so that's really wonderful. But on the other hand, change champions are individuals who are being tasked to go back into their teams, their departments, and to share content about the project itself. And so we give them specific talking points, we give them content, we give them information so that they can start to socialize it at the peer level so that as we're hitting communications at the broader organizational level, we're also providing communications at the peer level as well. And it's reaffirming that message that we need for the organization to be successful. What about the purpose of what you call a, a change document? What does that look like and what purpose does that, does that serve? Yeah, so a change document, uh, and this is very much on the consulting side where right. we have models, we have, we have uh, all kinds of uh, tools to help us assess the change progress. But uh, the change documents really are identifying what is the strategy for this work? How do we plan to implement it? How do we stage it? What are the key activities that we need to to implement. Um, I absolutely love the change readiness assessment that I do with organizations, Mm -hmm. which really helps me to understand what is the culture like? What are the leaders like? What communications work? What doesn't work here? Um, And what I'm looking for really is what is going to make this change stick in this particular organization in the context of the culture? So um, all of these documents are on the back end. Most of uh, the people that are impacted will never see them, but these are the documents that guide us through the journey to help us understand and plan ahead for the change itself. Well, I've got a couple of questions, uh, Pam, that I want to ask you that aren't directly related to the book. But before I do that, I always like to ask, as we've sort of bounced around the book here, is there anything else from the book you want to make sure we know or, or walk away with? 
Absolutely. So I think probably the biggest takeaway from the book is the importance of listening. In the book, I talk about this less model, uh, listen, engage, speak, and solve. And if I could pick one thing that is the most critical thing from the book, it's the importance of us as leaders to listen to our people, Mm -hmm. to listen to our organizations, to be mindful and in tune with the rhythm of the business so that when we do launch big initiatives, they're thoughtful, they are timed well, and they're well received. What was that again? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Well, uh, this being the Read to Lead podcast, I'd love to ask when it comes to reading for you, uh, particularly reading to learn, what are some things you do to maybe help retain what you read or ensure that something that you read you want to implement actually gets implemented later? Any tips or tricks from your world? Yeah, so I teach it. I think mm-hmm. the best way to, to learn Love something it. is to teach it. And um, I teach it to my family. I teach it to my kids. I teach it to leaders I work with. I teach it on social media, wherever I find appropriate to teach it. I think that's probably been the biggest skill that I have taken away as a reader to mm-hmm. really implement what I'm learning is by teaching it. Uh, I think that's the best answer to that question I've gotten yet. I love that. <laughs> Nobody's ever said that before. I love it. Well, regarding books, I'm, I'm guessing you love to read or at least somewhat enjoy the, the reading process. I do. <laughs> what's, a, what's a book or two you've encountered along your career uh, that's left a, a lasting an impression on you? Maybe one you go back to uh, again and again for, for reference. Yeah. So I started reading leadership books in my teen years. Wow. One that really resonated with me was The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership by John Maxwell. Mm-hmm. And I love that book. I, I There's one section about not microwaving your leadership skills. And I think when <laughs> I was a teenager, I just wanted to microwave those leadership skills so bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, but John Maxwell shared true gold when it comes to leadership about the timing and the process of becoming a leader. So for me, that's a classic book that I always refer to because I think there's so much just gold in that book from a more recent book that I absolutely love. And I guess it's not too recent, Patrick Lencioni's book, The Advantage. It's one of my favorites. I absolutely adore Patrick Lencioni. I love the book. I love the content. It aligns very well with what I do and what I teach as well. And then then another one that I, I love very much is Rework. Mm. It's a fascinating book because it contains principles that are almost common sense. But in the life of corporate America, we've complicated processes <laughs> and, and everything. We've, com- we've made it so much more cumbersome than it needs to be. And what I loved about Rework was that it just brought it down to the basics and simplicity and uh, structuring what you do in a meaningful way that makes a difference. And to me, that's what I took away from it. And I wanted to make sure that my life and everything I do is as simple as it can be, as impactful as it can be, and as meaningful for the world, really, mm. as we forward. You mentioned a couple of my favorite authors there uh, as well that impacted my early career. Uh, John, who uh, we've been fortunate to have on the show before. And then Pat, who we've tried to get on the show and just have never been able to. But I love both of them (laughs) equally. It's it's funny when I think of Patrick Lencioni, um, I've read him for so many years now, but I always, I would say that when I grow up, I want to be like Patrick. (laughs) And someday I hope to meet him uh, and shake his hand because he has impacted my life so much. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful for his writing and the time that he's taken to do that. Have you had a chance to hear him speak? 
I have, yes, yeah. at the leadership conference, uh, the global leadership conference that Willow Creek puts together. I've heard him several times, absolutely adore his work. And someday I aspire to meet with him in person. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the same place where I have heard him speak a couple of times, if I'm not mistaken. Well, um, I know the book's now been out for a few weeks. I know you're probably going to be in promotion mode for a little while yet. But beyond that, what's ahead for you and your team that you're excited about and, and able to to share? Yeah, we're we're excited to make an impact in organizations. And really personally for me, I'm excited to help leaders not be afraid of change. I think that's what it comes down to. I want this message of with the proper process, change is not hard to be a message that I carry on. And I want that to be a message that leaders believe in. And because if we believe it, we can behave like it. (laughs) And so uh, my goal personally is to touch as many leaders as possible and help them overcome their fear and their anxiety around change and help them put some principles that are true and lasting so that they can see results. And ultimately, the reason why I do all of this, any of this, is because I truly believe that when one leader does change right, that trickles into the employee's life, into the family life, into the community life. Mm. And the impact I have by impacting one leader is an entire community. Wow. Well, the book, again, is called No One's Listening, and It's Your Fault. Her name is Pam Marmon. Thank you for being here, Pam, so much. Appreciate uh, you sharing of your expertise and, and all that you do and your passion for it. It means a lot. Thank you so much, Jeff. Thanks for having me. As I mentioned at the top of the show, if you want to dive deeper into all things Pam and her brand new book, No One's Listening and It's Your Fault, you can get the details at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 317. That's readtoleadpodcast.com slash 317. At my website is also where you can grab a copy of my top 12 leadership and personal development books. It's absolutely free. I give my thoughts and those of some of my past guests on each of the 12 books and why I think they deserve a spot in the top 12. Again, this is a free resource. It's my top 12 all-time leadership and personal growth books. You can find that at readtoleadpodcast.com. For questions, comments, suggestions, or feedback on the podcast, I encourage you to reach out to me via email. That's jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com. I do my best to respond within a couple of days. In the next couple of weeks, be sure to join me for chats with folks like Garland Vance, author of the book Getting Unbusy, as well as Stephen M. R. Covey, son of the late Stephen R. Covey and author of the book The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Stephen and I will be chatting about the 30th anniversary edition of this classic book in just a couple of weeks. Well, that does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead. 